0: Hi right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick.
1: This is Faye.
0: And this is... Creogs Over, Over Coffee. Okay, so we're back with part three of three of our saga through hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Faye, what are we going to talk about today?
1: Well, today we are going to try and tackle chronic hypertension and how that affects pregnancy.
0: Okay, so before we get started, you guys, remember our learning objectives for this series of episodes was included in our very first episode that kind of was describing the hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. Today, again, we're gonna focus on manifestations of chronic hypertension and superimposed preeclampsia on chronic hypertension and talk about some other considerations, for instance, for the postpartum period.
1: I guess I'll get started with chronic hypertension. Chronic hypertension is hypertension that's diagnosed or present before pregnancy or before 20 weeks of gestation. With the new criteria from the American Heart Association, let's just go over quickly what normal blood pressure is and then all the different stages of hypertension.
0: Sounds like a good idea. I've heard a lot of controversy around these.
1: So according to these guidelines, normal blood pressure is a systolic blood pressure that is less than 120 and a diastolic blood pressure that is less than 80. Elevated blood pressures include a systolic blood pressure of 120 to 129 and a diastolic blood pressure of less than 80. And then stage one hypertension actually begins before a systolic blood pressure of 140. So it's actually a systolic blood pressure of 130 to 139 and a diastolic blood pressure of 80 to 89. And finally, stage 2 hypertension is what we classically, I think, defined as hypertension, which is a systolic blood pressure of greater than or equal to 140 and a diastolic blood pressure of greater than or equal to 90. And the thought process behind this is that uh, we could potentially classify different stages of hypertension and begin to identify those patients that are at risk for hypertension and to minimize the poor outcomes that can occur from untreated hypertension. Some other things to remember is that 09 to 1.5% of pregnant women are affected by chronic hypertension. And then also to remember that when someone is diagnosed with hypertension, that you should be using the right size cuff. I mean, it sounds really silly to say that, but if someone is coming in and they have a BMI of 30, you should not be using that pediatric cuff on them. And finally, remember to get baseline laboratories in case they develop chronic hypertension with superimposed preeclampsia later on down in their pregnancy. So you wanna get to know their baseline laboratories of their AST, ALT, creatinine, electrolytes, CBC, urine, P2C, and this is also just to see if they have any baseline renal or liver dysfunction from their high blood pressure. And finally, an EKG is also recommended. What about treatment, Nick? Do we treat chronic hypertension during pregnancy? Like, what do we do? (laughs)
0: Yeah, so sadly there's really inconclusive data of whether to treat mild to moderate hypertension. Um, There really isn't anything that demonstrates an improvement in perinatal outcomes. The 2015 CHIPS trial looked at tight versus less tight control and really established that there wasn't much of an advantage to treating this mild to moderate hypertension. Hmm. So, in terms of the recommendations that exist currently, You should treat women with chronic hypertension when they have severe range blood pressures, even though that this is really based on indirect evidence. The best medicines to use for the treatment of chronic hypertension to control blood pressures include labetalol or nifedipine. These patients also should be started on a baby aspirin between 12 and 28 weeks to reduce the risk of progression to superimposed preeclampsia. And then finally, these patients, again, just like with pregnancy-associated hypertension, um, should be receiving antenatal fetal testing if they're on medications and third trimester growth ultrasounds for risk of growth restriction. In terms of timing of delivery, if patient is not taking medications, they should be delivered after 38 weeks of gestation. If they're on medicines, should can deliver them after 37 weeks of gestation. And then we'll get into this a little bit more in a moment, but if there's severe hypertension that's not controlled and thus the patient may meet the criteria for superimposed preeclampsia with severe features, consider delivery on diagnosis if it's at 34 or more weeks of gestation. So speaking of that, I guess we can talk about chronic hypertension with superimposed preeclampsia at this point.
1: Superimposed preeclampsia is very difficult to diagnose simply because Sometimes patients who have chronic hypertension already have some end-organ damage from their chronic disease. So they may already have proteinuria. They may already have some liver dysfunction. And so in terms of diagnosis of superimposed preeclampsia, the diagnosis criteria we currently say would be someone who has chronic hypertension, Plus, if they have new onset or worsening proteinuria, and this is not really well-defined um, in any of the guidelines, or if they have acute, severe, persistent elevations in blood pressure in absence of other causes. So for example, if your patient is somebody who has chronic hypertension who is not on medication, and all of a sudden they're throwing severe range blood pressures you know, every hour and they need to be put on IV medication to treat them or if there are other new lab changes suggestive of preeclampsia. So people who have new onset uh, thrombocytopenia, hemolysis, uh, worsening of their creatinine or elevations in their AST, ALT, and also those neurological symptoms like headache or vision changes. These are patients that you should consider to have superimposed preeclampsia. Now, in terms of patients with or without severe features, that is going to depend on their blood pressures, and again, if they are meeting those severe criteria that we talked about during our last episode. And then in terms of superimposed preeclampsia without severe features, this would be patients who have that new or worsening proteinuria. Things you should be considering is to remember to assess lab work. It's really nice if you have a baseline lab from when they first got pregnant or from before pregnancy, and that way you're able to compare those two different laboratory values. What about treatment and delivery?
0: Yeah, so again, we can kind of break superimposed preeclampsia down, just like we do with plain preeclampsia, I guess you'd say, um, into severe features or non-severe features. Again, those basic treatments are still very much the same. You should treat any severe range blood pressures greater than or equal to 160 over 110. These patients should be receiving antenatal fetal testing in the third trimester, as well as growth ultrasounds periodically. And then if patients have severe features, they should be given magnesium for seizure prophylaxis, as we've described before. Delivery for patients that have superimposed preeclampsia without severe features should occur after 37 weeks. And those who have severe features should be delivered at diagnosis if they are at 34 weeks gestation or greater. So Faye, I guess kind of from there, we've touched now on really the whole spectrum of hypertensive disorders in pregnancy. Yep. But one thing that the committee opinions and practice bulletins give some reflection on, but we still are trying to look for data, is really in the postpartum period. What are some things that we should remember for the postpartum period that we do have some evidence for?
1: You know, there are patients that I'm sure we've all seen who come back to the emergency room after they delivered either with new onset hypertension or with continued hypertension uh, after they've been diagnosed uh, antepartum uh, or they come in with headaches uh, that aren't going away with any pain medications. So these can still be associated with all of the poor outcomes that we see um, antepartum, especially if it falls within that six-week postpartum period. So patients who come in with severe range blood pressures, neurological symptoms, all of this can still be associated with eclampsia, so yes, patients still can have those seizures even after you deliver their baby. They can get hypertensive encephalopathy, so you're thinking like your press syndromes. They can get pulmonary edema or even stroke. So these patients should still get laboratory evaluation and you're going to get all of those preeclampsia labs that we talked about. And those patients, especially if they have severe range blood pressures, should come into the hospital to be monitored again. We kind of talked about this in our hospital. and We kind of go back and forth. Um, and I feel like the practice guidelines don't give a ton of guidance to. But there are some questions about should we be using NSAIDs in these patients. Uh, Because potentially NSAIDs could uh, lead to increases in severe range blood pressures. What does ACOG have to say? What does the evidence have to say in the literature about NSAIDs?
0: Really, ACOG tries to balance two things here. Is that number one, the theoretical risk of worsening or new hypertension as a result of NSAID therapy. Along with number two, the opioid crisis and Mm -hmm. understanding that ibuprofen or other NSAIDs are really the ideal pain medicine for the postpartum period. Right. A small but really well done randomized control trial published recently demonstrated that ibuprofen didn't lengthen the duration of severe range blood pressures when compared to Tylenol alone. Mm. And really kind of that data there has made the suggestion that ibuprofen is probably okay. There is also an additional study that demonstrated that patients with preeclampsia with severe features demonstrated no worsened blood pressure elevations in the postpartum period associated with NSAID use. So, again, even though there's the theoretical risk of worsening hypertension as a result of the interplay between NSAIDs and the kidneys, um, the data hasn't borne that out yet.
1: Mm, okay.
0: The other controversy that we kind of come up upon periodically, Faye, is whether magnesium is indicated postpartum. Do we have any evidence for that?
1: Unfortunately, the quality of evidence is pretty low just because there hasn't been a huge trial testing this in patients. You know, if we think about something on the level of the MAGPIE trials for magnesium in the antepartum patients with uh, preeclampsia, there really hasn't been something like that done in the postpartum period. However, the Hypertension Task Force does say that for women who present with new-onset hypertension associated with headaches, blurred vision, or other uh, signs and symptoms, laboratory work of preeclampsia with severe features, these patients should receive magnesium. But again, that quality of evidence is low. The other question is always, what if they've been diagnosed already and they've had magnesium before? Should they be given magnesium again? And again, the data for this is even more murky. Um, so in our practice, in our hospital, we tend to not remag uh, people who come in with continued severe range blood pressures in the postpartum period.
0: Yeah. I think if you know, you're a person that is in the community or you're an emergency room doc and you don't have access to records, you're not sure if somebody's been magged before, nobody's going to fault you for redosing magnesium. Yeah. But at the same time, the evidence doesn't necessarily support it.
1: All right, Nick, so I think that brings us to the end of our three-part saga on hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. I feel like we've been talking about making these episodes, but we've just been too scared by all the information that's out there. Um, So let's go ahead and sum up chronic hypertension.
0: Fabulous. All right. So again, we spent this last episode talking about chronic hypertension and its manifestations in pregnancy. So Faye went through talking about chronic hypertension under the new ACC AHA guidelines, defined really in multiple stages. So just to go over those one more time, normal blood pressures are defined as less than 120 systolic or less than 80 diastolic. An elevated blood pressure category counts as a systolic between 120 and 129 or with a diastolic of less than 80. Stage 1 hypertension Increases now from to a systolic of 130 to 139 with a diastolic of 80 to 89. And stage two hypertension is what we sort of classically thought of as hypertension as greater than or equal to 140 over greater than or equal to 90. If a pregnant patient has chronic hypertension, remember to get baseline laboratories that for preeclampsia, because if they do come back with superimposed later on, you want to know if this represents a real change. The treatment of chronic hypertension really should be based to control severe range blood pressures if they're present, Um, and there's no evidence to suggest that treatment of mild to moderate hypertension improves outcomes. Delivery should be performed at 38 weeks with uncomplicated chronic hypertension. If on medicines with control, delivery should be considered at 37 weeks. And again, if there's severe hypertension that's not controlled, consider delivery at 34 weeks or at diagnosis.
1: We then talked about superimposed preeclampsia, which we said was kind of a difficult diagnosis to make. This can be divided into superimposed preeclampsia with or without severe features. Um, In terms of superimposed preeclampsia without severe features, this would be like new onset or worsening proteinuria. And with severe features would be any of those things that give a patient preeclampsia with severe features. So severe range blood pressures, laboratory abnormalities. These patients should have their blood pressures treated if they are in the severe range, and they should have antenatal fetal testing, third trimester growth ultrasounds, and magnesium if they have severe features. Without severe features, those with superimposed preeclampsia should be delivered at or after 37 weeks. And if they have severe features, delivery is indicated upon diagnosis if they are 34 weeks or more.
0: We then talked about a variety of postpartum considerations for the patient with hypertension. So the first thing we talked about with that was the presence of headache in these postpartum hypertension patients. Again, a headache is a symptom that can be associated with eclampsia, hypertensive encephalopathy, PRESS syndrome, other things. And so it's still important to be aware of the possibility that preeclampsia, eclampsia can occur in the postpartum period. And these patients should be evaluated as you would for an antenatal patient with laboratories.
1: We then asked the question Should NSAIDs be used in patients who either have preeclampsia or who present in the postpartum period with preeclampsia? And the short answer to that is yes.
0: Finally, we also talked about magnesium postpartum. And though we said the quality of evidence was low, the answer to that is also yes. And if they've been magged before, again, you won't be faulted for doing it, but the data doesn't necessarily support that. All right, so once again, I'm Nick. I'm Faye. And this has been Creogs over Coffee.
1: If you enjoyed our podcast, please give us a five star rating and review on iTunes or any other podcatcher that you use.
0: Find us online, Twitter at Kriegs over Coffee One, Facebook at Creugs over Coffee, or on our website, www.kriegsovercoffee.com. If you're a big fan of the show, be sure to check out our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash over Coffee. You can get some cool swag or a shout out on the show.
1: And finally, we're always looking to improve. So if you uh, want to suggest any topics or disagree with anything that we talked about during this episode or simply want to say hi to us, feel free to email us at kreogsovercoffee at gmail.com.